We're going to jump into our next message in our Guide Rail series. Um, Before we do that, would you just kind of like pray with me so that we can get our hearts ready to open the Word together? God, we are so thankful for this morning, the opportunity we have to worship you, and you know our hearts. You know that there's all different kinds of hearts in this place right now. There's some broken hearts, there's some heavy hearts, there's some burdened hearts, there's some tired hearts, there's some proud hearts, there's some stuck hearts. You know our hearts and you know what we need. I pray that you'd break down the barriers that we have built up in our hearts and minds, that you would push past us to show us yourself and help us to understand your word, that your spirit would be moving. Those who need encouragement would be encouraged. Those who need hope would find hope. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So we are jumping into week number two in this brand new series called Guide Rails. Yeah, we created a new word, and no, we don't care. That's just how we roll. We make words up as we go. (laughs) It's a combination of two words, and the first word is guidepost. If you get a picture of your head of like one of those wooden posts in the ground with wooden little arrows sticking off and, you know, pointing a, a direction, naming a town and how many miles to get there. Those things are meant to give you direction, show you which way to go. At the same time, you have guardrails. Hopefully you haven't hit one of those anytime recently. I don't get, I don't get close to hitting them because anytime my wheel jerks just a little bit, my wife lets me know about it. And, uh, Come on, guys, like, really? It's all of you. It's all of us. It's not just me. Thank you. Thank you. Go birds. (laughs) You know, like, those guardrails, though, they're meant to keep you from going off the road, from, from running off. They keep you from, like, a worse accident. They're supposed to keep you where you're supposed to go in their protection, their reminders. Stay on the road. Don't veer off. You can't turn here, like, they're, they're important. As we were thinking through church and talking about our direction and what God has for us next and what it's going to look like at Grace Free Church, we have our values and our vi- we have our vision and it's so important. We have our theology. It's so important. But we also decided we needed these kind of like guard, guide rails, the, these things that will not only help us know what direction to go in, but that will keep us from going sideways or running off the road and causing all kinds of different pains and different hurts. And we all know like how that can easily, that can happen in churches and how much hurt and pain and confusion it can cause. We know how easily that can happen in our own lives, how we can lose our direction and how we can run past the warning signs that we have up meant to keep us on the right path. We just ignore them and blow past them. And we know in our personal lives how much pain and how much hurt and how much disappointment and confusion that can cause. These guide rails are so important. They're not just important to us as a church, but they're important to us as individuals as well. And we started last week by talking about the most important guide rail we can have as individuals and as a church. Absolutely essential. First on purpose is this. Jesus is center. And all of our priorities start here. So we spent time talking about 
how important that is in our lives and in the life of a church. That Jesus needs to be center of everything. In church, a, a preacher doesn't need to be center. Jesus needs to be center. A program doesn't need to be center. Jesus needs to be center. In our own lives, it's easy to replace Jesus with ourselves and make ourselves the center of our lives. And that's where so much brokenness and hurt comes in. We got to keep Jesus center. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things that you're worried about, what you'll eat and what you'll do and what you'll wear, it's found in Matthew. It's an incredible passage. All of these things will be added to you if you get the center right. Amen. Everything else gets right too. The second one is, not, is, is important and is second on purpose, and that's the one we're talking about today. And this is it for those of you that take notes or like to write things down. This is the second guide rail we have as a church that I think is absolutely essential to us having as individuals as well, and that is people second below Jesus above everything else people are second this isn't just essential for church it's not just how we practice the greatest commands as a church love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind love your neighbor as yourself the one he changed with his disciples to say love each other the way I have loved you it's not just essential to how we do church it's also essential to our personal lives if you want to experience fulfillment if you want to experience purpose and meaning in your life you have to get these two things locked in Jesus is center and people not you. People are second. It's easy to say and super hard to practice. It's hard to practice because I think in our flesh we all drift from this, from the greatest two commands. Maybe that's why Jesus was so emphatic at saying everything else hangs on this. Like don't drift from these two. You gotta get these two things right. It's easy for us in our flesh to drift. We lift ourselves up and push others down. That's not just something that happens in the schoolyard. That's something that happens in our workplaces. You ever been tempted just to highlight a negative thing about somebody else just to make yourself look a little better? You sweep right in there. It's smooth like, ah, oh, man, I don't know why they're always dropping the ball on those memos. Want me to take it this week? <laughs> in our flesh, we want to push other people down and lift ourselves up. We struggle with this because we like our way, and if you're not doing it my way, get out of the way, right? Like, we do this with all kinds of silly, stupid stuff. So I was thinking about this. I was like, I just did this with a ham not that long ago. Like, for family gatherings, my wife is all about, she's the one who gets tasked with making the ham. It's good ham, right? And this ham she makes with this apricot marmalade, I'm getting hungry just talking about it. Like I know apricot marmalade sounds weird, but when you put it on there and you cook it the way she cooks it, it's unbelievable. But my father-in-law is like, it's gotta be orange marmalade. And I'm like, he's crazy. It's my oven, do it with the, right? Like get out of my way if you're not gonna do it my way. I don't, I'm hungry, that's why the food illustrations, right? Um, we like our way. If you don't want to do it our way, get out of it. I'm okay with you as long as you're thinking the way I'm thinking. As long as you're going in the direction I'm going. As long as you do it the way I want to do it. As long as you sing it the way I want to sing it. Say it the way I would want to say it. Make it sound the way I want it to hear. As long as you're doing it the way I would do it, great. 
I can be on that, but as soon as you're in my way, get out. We struggle with this because we evaluate how decisions and things in our life affect us, and we seldom evaluate how they'll affect others. It's a whole lot of men making decisions, thinking about how it'll affect them without thinking about how it'll affect their kids or their spouse. We want to think about how things affect us, and then we try to deal with the consequences of how it affects everybody else. It should be the other way around. And sometimes, unfortunately, we put things above people. And it's not like the church is immune from this. If you're new here for this series, I want you to know that these next couple messages have great meaning for personal lives, but we're also like putting stakes in the ground as a church. So you're going to get to know a little bit about who we are. But I don't want you to miss out on the fact, if you've rolled in here, you're like, I'm not sure what I believe. I'm just trying to explore this thing. You'll get a look at who we are as a church, but my hope is that you'll see that God's way for life is just better. Just better. Church is not immune from these kind of things, and some of you know that because you have been burned, hurt, disillusioned when church has not kept Jesus center and not kept people second. When those kind of things happen in the organization of church, in the structure of church, in the leadership of church, it causes just incredible confusion and hurt and pain And I guess what we're saying is, not here. Not because we aren't susceptible to this stuff, because we all are. We're all human, we're all weak, we all have to deal with our flesh. But it's more of a declaration that as far as the leadership of this church can, as much as we can as leaders and as pastors and as staff, we will not be a church that takes Jesus out of center and people out of second. When it creeps into the corporate spaces in our lives, it looks like caring more about a brand than about people. God, don't let us ever be a church that cares more about a logo and the sign out in the parking lot than it does about people. Like we're supposed to care about people. The brand, the name, it's not important. What's important is people and connecting them with Jesus. It, it, sleep, it creeps into the corporation of church when people that are in leadership cling to power instead of giving it away. And if I become one of those pastors that clings to power instead of giving it away, you should throw me out on my keister. I bet you haven't heard that in church. That's all right, it's better than what I dropped in the first service because, uh, no, I didn't cuss. I know some of you are worried like when I say that, but like, <laughs> I may get an email anyway. Uh, <laughs> church, it creeps into church when we're interested in building programs at the cost of people, sacrifice people to build a program. 
What good is it if you have the best programs in the world, but if you're killing people to build them, if you're burning out your volunteers to build them, if you're hurting people to build them, it doesn't matter how great the music is or how awesome the preaching is or how cool the building is, what kind of cool stuff you got going on or programs you have, if it's at the cost of the people that attend. And sometimes in churches, image becomes above all. And that's just not how it should be. Church, more than anything else, and it's a shame that it has, cannot always be said, church should have Jesus center and people second. And we will be that kind of church. We will put our flag in the ground and die on that hill. Jesus center and people second. It's an important guardrail for church and for our individual lives, though, if you look at Philippians chapter 2. I love this passage so much. It actually was supposed to be in next week's message. I hope next week's message turns out okay, because I just totally stole this one from that one and put it in here. It's important, though. I think it says this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. This is important. There's so much you could pull out of this, but I just want to focus on a couple of key words. You could preach a whole sermon on do nothing out of selfish ambition, but we don't have time for that today. This one I want to focus on a couple of things. And the first word is in, found in there. It says, rather in humility, value. There's different va- versions of the Bible that we have today to read, all to help us understand it and make it easier to understand and apply it to our lives. The NIV is like this perfect like middle ground where it, it, it stays accurate, but it also puts the language in language we can understand, right? Like it doesn't have all the these and thous and themeths and all those other weird things, but like it also um, is it's meant to help us apply it to The ESV is a version that I like better in this passage. The ESV is a version that is concerned with getting accurate translation word for word. And so what they put in here for that Greek word that's translated in this Bible, value others, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. It says this, it says, rather count others above yourselves. I love that. Hold on to that for a second. Not looking, that's the other word I want to talk about, looking, to your own interest, but each of you looking to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset, that's the third word, as Christ Jesus. And it goes on to describe it. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. The first word I want to focus on here to help us keep people second is this. It's count others. Count others. Never ceases to shock me how blind-sighted I can be When it comes to the people that God has put in my circle. Who has put God put in your circle? Count those people 
above yourself? Who's he put in your home? Like, we see them a lot. We live with them. We talk with them. But have you counted them above yourself? Who, who has he placed in your workplace? Who are the people he's entrusted to work for you, your employees? Who are the people you serve? Like, who has God put in your circle of influence? Count those people. Not just count them, not just pay attention to them, not just really see them, but count them above yourself. It's time we are more intentional and aware about the people that God has placed in our lives. He's placed them in your lives to entrust them to you, to love them, to serve them, to care about them, to see them. Do you really see it's not just that. It says looking to their interest, to, to look. What's, what is it that those people really need? What's really going on in their hearts? What's behind the fake smiles? What's behind the nothing happened at school today answer every time you ask how did it go? What's really going on with the people that God has placed around you? See, we are called to humble ourselves, to count the people around us, and to really look to their interest, what do they need? What are they struggling with? What are they carrying? It's a mindset that we're supposed to copy Jesus in having. A mindset that does not place ourselves above the people in our homes. It does not allow for us to make us the center of their worlds. It does not allow, there's no space for me and yet it's the most fulfilling, most joyous way to live. Look and have the mindset. It plays out in serving the people that God has entrusted to us. That's why it's so important to us as people and as a church. In Luke chapter 9, we get the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a lost dude. I'm just going to, you can read it in verses 1 through 9. I'm just going to tell the story and highlight a couple parts of it to save some time this morning. He was the worst dude. That's what you got to know about Zacchaeus. If you look in your Bible, the part of that chapter that works as like a heading will probably say Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Doesn't sound like a really big deal, but like Zacchaeus was like the worst, like the biggest tool in the tool shed. Like, he was just awful. Not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, and tax collectors in those days, they made their money by skimming off the top of people. So if the Roman government said, you own X, they would multiply that or add to it a margin that they would get to keep to themselves. They basically, if they were good at their jobs, they would make themselves wealthy by stealing from people money that they did not owe. That's how they did it. Zacchaeus was so good at his job that they promoted him. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, and Scripture does not leave this part out. Like, he didn't stink at his job. He was extremely wealthy. This tool bag was good at ripping off regular folk. Like, traitor to the Roman Empire, 
the worst. When he walked around town, people would get on the other side of the street. Dudes would go home and talk to their wives about how if I had five minutes with Zacchaeus, man, we wouldn't have any of these problems anymore. Just give me five, ooh, just give me five minutes with him. Like Zacchaeus was a guy, if he rolled up into church, everybody would clear out and sit on the other side of the church. You wouldn't want to see him. You didn't want to bump into him. He probably walked around, hopefully, for coping's sake, maybe oblivious to all of the evil looks he would get, the judgmental looks he would get from people. When it comes to bad dudes, Zacchaeus was absolutely awful. Awful. But something was missing. See, he had been extremely successful. He had made all the money you could imagine wanting to make. He had position, he had power. From those standpoints, you can't get any higher than Zacchaeus had gotten, but something was still missing. He was stuck in the hustle. You get stuck in the hustle, your friends get stuck in the hustle. I gotta do what I gotta do. I gotta make, I gotta make my money. I gotta put my money away. I gotta, I gotta provide for my people. I gotta provide for my kids. I gotta do whatever it takes to get ahead. I wanna be successful. I wanna have position. I wanna have respect. We get stuck in this hustle, searching for all these things, and it's easy to miss that the real thing we need can't be found in stuff. Zacchaeus had something missing. And he had heard that Jesus was coming through town. And maybe he had heard the stories about this Jesus. Maybe he had heard some of the teachings of this Jesus as people spread the stories around and as the buzz escalated about who this Jesus was and who this Jesus had healed and what this Jesus had done. And somewhere in Zacchaeus, his curiosity got the best of him because deep down he knew that something was still missing. And maybe somewhere in him he thought, maybe if I could just see Jesus, it would click. I could find it. Maybe you're sitting here, and like Zacchaeus, you're thinking, I don't know, something's still missing. I don't, I've, I've, I've succeeded at all this other stuff. I've done all these things, but there's still this emptiness, this void in my heart. Something's still stirring. It feels like something's still missing. Maybe this Jesus has what you've really been looking for. Zacchaeus, as all the Sunday school songs would say, was a wee little man. A terrible way of, for, to, what a terrible way to teach a bunch of children. <laughs> I describe somebody in the Bible. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. <laughs> we do not sing that song up there, just so you know. <laughs> So there's all these obstacles for him. He goes to the street to see Jesus and there's this massive crowd. It's like packed. There's so many people seeking Jesus' attention, wanting to get Jesus' attention, wanting Jesus' help with something. There's just people everywhere and Zacchaeus, he like couldn't see. He was, he was trying to like, he's like Bryson Scott trying to see over the O-line, right? Like he just couldn't see where he needed to go. He was waiting for a hole and no hole was showing up. So he climbed up a sycamore tree just to get a look at Jesus and something absolutely incredible happened. Jesus is walking down the street. He knows Zacchaeus. He sees Zacchaeus and he stops for Zacchaeus. He stops for Zacchaeus, and he called them by name. He stops for the worst of the worst, 
Thank God, because sometimes I'm the worst. And he stops for me. And he stops for you. He stops for Zacchaeus, and he stops for the people you can't stand. He stops for the people that you think are too bad. He stops for the people that don't live like you, that don't believe like you. He stops for the people that don't look like you, that dress differently than you. He stops for them because that is the heart of God for people. He cares, and he stops. He sees them, and he knows them. Luke 15, if you drop back a couple chapters, you see the heart for God in this parable as Jesus told. There's 99, 100 sheep, but one of them was lost. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. There's a missing coin, and he turns the whole house over to find the one coin. There was a son who wanted it all his way wished his father dead and took all the money and ran off to do whatever he wanted. And when that son was found, he threw a party for the kid that was back where he belonged. That's God's heart for the worst of us. And that's God's heart for you. He stops. He knew his name. And what was missing for Zacchaeus wasn't a fancy church service. What was missing for Zacchaeus wasn't incredible songs and an awesome band and a cool sanctuary. What was missing for Zacchaeus wasn't some preacher who wears sneakers and can make you laugh once in a while and keeps you from falling asleep, hopefully. What was missing for Zacchaeus wasn't some cool-looking church logo on some black flags outside a parking lot that could use a little bit of work. What was missing for Zacchaeus was an encounter with Jesus. That's what was missing. Zacchaeus, he says, come down from that tree. I'm going to your house today. He comes down and Jesus welcomed him gladly and Zacchaeus welcomed him back and they go to his house and a bunch of people start to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. It was a big deal. Sharing a meal with somebody in that culture, it was a sign of friendship. Here the God of the universe, not just stopped for Zacchaeus, but said, I wanna be your friend. Zacchaeus is so overcome by this encounter. Jesus never asked for this, never pushed him for this, but Zacchaeus is so overcome by his encounter with Jesus that he says, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Four times the amount. And with that, all the car alarms went off (laughs) outside of Zacchaeus' house. You know you're preaching loud when the car alarms are going off. I get, the, I get the point, I'll end soon. How's that? What changed him, what changed his morality, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a list of things to do or not do to fit into church. What changed him wasn't a dress code. What changed him wasn't some morality construct created by the religious to say, you fit in if you do these things right and God will accept you if you check these things off your list. What changed Zacchaeus was not some four points dealt out from a pulpit or a weird little table about how to change your life. That's not what changed Zacchaeus. What changed Zacchaeus 
was an encounter with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus. Listen, we put people second. You, you need to hear this. If you decide this isn't your church because you don't like this, I'm okay with that. Like you need to hear these, these things. We keep Jesus center. We put people second, which means we stop for people you would not expect us to stop for. We stop for the outcast. We stop for the beaten down. We stop for the wicked. We stop for people that live differently than you and believe differently than you. You have to know this. We stop like Jesus stopped. Because people are second. Because people are second, we as a church are committed to removing barriers that get between people having an encounter with Jesus. We're gonna pull down the barriers of tradition. We're gonna pull down the barriers of, of church weirdness. We're gonna pull down barriers. If, if that means we change the way we do music, if that means we change the way we do lighting, if that means we change the way we do the lobby, if that means we change how we preach, we will remove barriers. We will remove barriers. We're gonna take away the judgmental faces that look at people that dress differently than you or who happen to have a sleeve of tattoos and you don't like that. We don't care. We don't care. They can come here and belong here and sit in these chairs and we hope and pray that at one point they will encounter the living God, Jesus, because he changes everything. People may roll in here with booze on their breath well, obviously, I don't think that's a smart decision. They can come here. We're gonna remove the barriers so they can come here with their struggle and their addiction, neck deep in it, and maybe, hopefully, prayerfully encounter this Jesus who wants to have a meal with them. This is getting real enough for you because people are second. We as a church will remove barriers. Because people are second, we're gonna leave the 99 to search for the lost one. You're the 99. There's a reason we say that we are a church that is for Jesus, for Schuylkill County, and for your family and friends who don't go to church before we say that we are a church that is for you. We will leave the 99 and follow Jesus to seek out and share the truth and hopefully facilitate an encounter with that one lost one. We will. If that means how we do church doesn't fit into your preferences, then that means it doesn't fit into your preferences. If that means we gotta stretch ourselves, plant a campus in Tremont, in the middle of a pandemic, then that means even if nobody understands it and everybody thinks it's crazy, we're gonna leave our comfortable little spot in Cresona and plant a campus and buy a building in Tremont. You know what, I can't count all the fruit, but the story of one lost soul found is enough to make it all worth it. We will leave the 99 and I'm part of the 99, so are you.
because people are second. We will do whatever it takes to facilitate people that are searching, struggling, curious, lost, unsure, broken, beaten, suffering, stuck in their addiction. Because people are second, we will do whatever it takes to facilitate the encounter with hurting, broken, lost people and Jesus. Because the encounter with Jesus, the real Jesus, changes everything. Because people are second. Have you encountered this Jesus? The answer for the wicked man who was lost was an encounter with Jesus. The answer for the religious people who were upset about who Jesus was spending time for was a real encounter with Jesus. If you have never encountered the real Jesus, he is the one who is the light in the darkness. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He doesn't care what you look like or what you've done or what, whatever it is, whatever baggage that you think keeps you far from God. He is the one who came to make a way for you back to him. He knows your name. He knows your deepest needs. He stops for you. Would you see him for who he is and what he has done? And would you place your faith in him he is what your soul has been longing for. He is the only one who can make it and you right. Let's pray. Forgive us, Father. Forgive me for the times where I've not gotten the two greatest commands right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Keep Jesus center. And love your neighbor as yourself. Help us to be more like Jesus in these two things. There's a whole lot of lost, hurting, broken souls in this county that you have called us to be salt and light to. They don't need us. They don't need some cool videos on Instagram or Facebook. They don't need me. They don't need our brand. They, don't, they need you. Would you give us the courage, the strength, the resolve to follow you in chasing down the one? We thank you for loving us. It is so good to spend time reflecting on you. You are what we need. We pray all this in your precious name, the name of Jesus, the name that is above all names. It's your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.